same day, one day, one hour. Planes, trucks, drones, and automobiles. Who will win the race to deliver online purchases to your door? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. last mile logistics, it's tough just keeping the players straight. There's the Amazon behemoth, of course, with Google, eBay, and a few others nipping at its heels. There are same-day operations like Delive, serving major malls and retail stores. And there are the big brick-and-mortar retailers themselves, determined not to lose out to the internet-based upstarts. Finally, there's new radical technologies such as drones and even driverless vehicles that need to be factored into the mix. Helping us to sort through the chaos of competitors is my guest today, Rob Howard. He is founder and CEO of Grand Junction, which offers a technology platform for launching and managing local delivery. He reviews the major competitors in the race for the last mile and paints a picture of what the delivery landscape might look like in the near future. He also talks about what consumers really want and what they're willing to pay for. So here is my conversation with Rob Howard. Rob Howard, welcome to the program. Uh, Thanks. Happy to be here. Grand Junction is based in San Francisco, am I right? That's right. We're based uh, right downtown uh, in San Francisco, yep. So you're kind of, I I guess you would say you're kind of at ground zero for all the innovations that we've seen out there in in recent years with regard to local delivery and fulfillment of e-commerce and omni-channel orders, right? Yeah, there's a lot going on in this space right now. I think in San Francisco alone, I think there's uh, 68 companies that have some version of uh, on-demand delivery experience they've rolled out here in the last in the last year or so. So it's a wow. lot of innovative models out there right now. So just in general, what is going on in terms of kind of the latest ideas you see out there? What is it that people are talking about the most right now in terms of options for local delivery? Yeah, I mean, the one is, is on tip of everybody's tongue is really Uber and Uber's model, where they're going directly to individual drivers. There's a lot of questions about when Uber will kind of roll out a delivery experience, uh, on-demand or same-day delivery experience, using their their pool of drivers. In San Francisco, alone, they have 22,000 drivers uh, here, you know, doing passenger delivery. And at at first blush, that looks like a good path towards offering package delivery as well. To me, it's not clear that that's a, that's going to be a really effective path for them. You think they'd have to the rollout would require some major changes in the way the service is offered? I think so. You know, the uh, the Uber driver today, when they pick up a passenger, you know, they have a picture of that person. They have a phone number they can call. They'd never have to get out of their car. It's a very seamless pickup experience. And then on the delivery experience, it's kind of even better. You just kind of get out of the car, and uh, that's a very simple process driven by an app, right? But package delivery is a little more complex. You know, you 
you do need to park your vehicle, probably have commercial plates for parking. You have to go in and find the package, wait in line to pick it up, make sure you get the right one, make sure it has the right packaging materials. And then when you get back in the car, if you're stuck in traffic, um, the person waiting for the package doesn't know that. Whereas if you have a passenger on board, that person's aware that you're in traffic. So there's a, a different kind of expectation for the package than there is for the passenger. And when you get to delivery, same thing. You've got to park your car. You've got to find the person that wants the package. You have to, if the person refuses it, it could be a problem. I think there's lots of technology hurdles and driver network hurdles for Uber to get over before they're going to have a seamless you know, package delivery experience. But in the long run, I think there is a place for this independent contractor to be a new participant in, in the delivery experience from what we've seen in the past. I would imagine that to solve that problem of where the driver is, I mean, already Uber has an app where you can look on the app and a map and see exactly where all the Uber drivers are in your vicinity. Uh, I would think that that could be turned around in a way so that you could track the progress of your particular Uber driver as he or she approaches your, your home or your, or, your, or your delivery point. You would think so, but, the, but uh, from a package delivery model, the lowest cost package delivery involves multiple items on board, right? So in the local delivery industry today, a, a driver will be doing lots of pickups and drop-offs along the way, not necessarily in any order. So in the on-demand delivery environment, there's kind of an unpredictability about where the pickups and drop-offs are. So if you're a consumer kind of tracking your package for Uber as it is today, you may not be tracking the driver to your delivery experience, or they may be doing a pickup which can be actually very frustrating if you're watching your, your package delivery moving and you see the, the, the Uber vehicle stopped. Or going or in the wrong direction. direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's why I kind of I, I think Uber has you know, the brand and they have the money and they have technology resources to get there. It's just going to be harder than turning it on. You know, uh, it just doesn't deliver itself right away. I would guess that it would be a less attractive opportunity for a driver as well. I mean, as you point out now in the passenger aspect of Uber, the driver doesn't even have to get out of the car. But all that stuff that would be involved that you just described and picking up the package, getting back in the car, getting out of the car, delivering, that's got to be not not only that, but, you know, how many of those can you crowd into a single day and, and make money that way? I would think there would be an issue there. Well, yeah, I think that's a, that's true. I think that the type of personality of the Uber driver is, is really kind of a social personality because they meet a lot of people, and, and a lot of drivers actually kind of crave that experience. And a package delivery experience is very different. You're really you're not interacting with people in meaningful ways. And honestly, you're going to be measured very differently. If you're an Uber driver today, you're measured on the quality of your vehicle. You're measured on your, your customer service, essentially, whereas if you're delivering packages, you're going to be measured on your on-time performance, on your damage rates, on your maybe even your scan compliance. You know, it's a totally different measuring metric for the driver, which means potentially a different kind of person, you know, and not necessarily the 22,000 folks that they have today doing passenger delivery. They don't necessarily match up with doing package delivery. And the two-way measurement or the two-way rating system that we see in Uber and passengers probably wouldn't apply quite as much. I mean, the idea that this uh, the Uber driver who's doing the delivery would somehow rate the customer 
you know, if you're a customer having packages delivered for, to you and you expect that package to come to you, I think the last thing you want is the person who's delivering it to you to rate you. It doesn't seem yeah. to make sense. So I could see where yeah, that, that wouldn't work. That's interesting, Bob. There is a different type of rating which would be valuable. So that model does work well. For example, if Uber was rolling out a national program for, say, Home Depot, Home Depot does need to understand how effective is each Home Depot store at getting the package ready for pickup, right? So the driver actually probably would rate the pickup experience, and Home Depot could use that to improve their their will call desk, you know, where the drivers pick up packages. So the, the same concept would apply, but kind of in a different way. So meanwhile, the streets are full of these delivery vehicles, Amazon, Google, eBay, Priuses, vans, whatever. I wonder if with these 68 companies you talked about, is it too early to say whether there's any kind of a shakeout and who might be the winners or losers at this early stage? It's a little too early to say definitively who the winners are with, with probably one exception. Amazon is a big player in this in this delivery space, and they're so unique because they have incredible volume, right? So their, their cost to experiment on a per-package delivery basis is much lower than others. And they are innovating. You know, they're offering... Um, you know, free same-day delivery in many mar- in 11 markets uh, and offering, if you're a Prime member, free one-hour and two-hour delivery. So they can do that because they have so much volume. Their cost to do the experiments and do these things is a lot lower than a startup, say, uh, one of those 68 who's delivering cookies, for example. They have to sell a lot of cookies to be able to deliver those in, in their half-hour window in a very efficient way, right? So I think if you look down the road, a lot of these 68 companies that are offering their own delivery services along with their retail services probably will outsource that delivery piece uh, to some of these folks like Postmates or, or someone like that uh, who can offer a lower-cost delivery experience for them. Do you think they might outsource it to Amazon as well, uh, or would Amazon not want to take in these nominal competitors and help them survive? Yeah, so Amazon will certainly do delivery for you if you're selling on their website. Right, so if you're mm-hmm. if you're a retailer who sells on the website, they'll do the delivery for you. If not, they will not, because they have such an incredible advantage. Now, they offer a terrific shopping experience and the most the most rapid delivery experience out there. It's an incredible advantage. So they're very motivated to keep that proprietary and to not empower everybody else to match them on service level. And they're fulfilling from these gigantic warehouses that are located just outside urban centers, right? Is that basically what the source of their of their product is, and that's where they dispatch the trucks from? That's right. So they've opened up, I think they have 64 large distribution centers near major markets now. And that optimizes their ability to offer a very rapid delivery. And so, for example, in the Bay Area here, it's in Tracy, you know, about an hour away. In New York City, it's in Cranberry. You know, so they so they have the ability to offer kind of a, a, a very, very rapid delivery experience, order in the morning, get in the afternoon. And as they mm-hmm. roll out more of their one and two hour delivery, you know, that's where they're gonna need to have micro distribution centers. And they're experimenting with that now, where they open up a micro distribution center for popular items inside the local market so they can do those very rapid deliveries. What is going to be the status quo going forward as you see it? Do you think the consumers are just going to become so spoiled that they're going to expect everything to come to them, not just one day, not just even same day, but uh, the specific appointment time during the hour? Or will that kind of extra service continue to be more of a premium thing for which they'll be expected to pay extra? 
Yeah, great question. I mean, all of the sex factor right now is around this on-demand delivery. In other words, order and get it right away. But, you know, that's always going to be expensive. You know, it's, it's like ordering a taxi. A taxi costs way it costs. You know, you have to pick something up and deliver it right away. You know, scale adds some benefit there, but, but it is a kind of a dedicated delivery experience. Whereas I think the new standard will be a, a lower cost same day, which is really what Amazon's setting up for, which is order in the morning, get in the afternoon, same day. And that allows you to kind of commingle all your packages. It's more like a city bus, you know, where you kind of pick up everything in the morning, deliver it in the afternoon. It's route based. Everything's commingled, very low cost, very low fare on the bus ride. So I think the, going forward, the standard is going to be that type of delivery experience. And, and the on-demand will always be a premium delivery experience. Do you think that most of these options that we're seeing now are really best suited for urban environments with high concentrations of population? How would they work in suburban or even rural areas? So I think rural areas are, are from a rapid delivery standpoint, they're out of question. And, and frankly, folks that live there don't expect that. The urban environment's a no-brainer uh, because – uh, the, the customer, you know, in that environment, people expect rapid deliveries, and there's also local inventory there in, in the form of storefronts and things like that. The suburban one's an interesting question. If retail does shift towards using their stores as mini fulfillment centers, then the malls are actually pretty well placed to kind of act as not only a point where you can walk in and pick something up, but also use those facilities as a forward deploy inventory for a local rapid delivery. And access to the malls is relatively easy. So you'd expect that delivery experience to also eventually promulgate out to the suburban areas as well. But I think about 80% of the population are in areas where same-day delivery is a possibility. Okay, so it's it's definitely going to be, be, be you know beyond just like the center of a city or something like that. It, it's still possible to get when you get a little bit out, you know, in a slightly outlying from the from the downtown. Yeah, I think so. Anybody in proximity to any distribution center for sure. And then if, if retail stores are able to, you know, shift their stores more to micro-fulfillment, then there'll be suburban eligibility for local delivery too. Now, when it comes to the vehicles we're talking about, whether it's Amazon, Google, eBay, Uber, vans, Priuses, even electric cars, I don't know. Here in San Francisco, as well as major cities elsewhere, these cities are becoming increasingly less car-friendly on purpose. Yep. They're retooling the streets for pedestrians, for buses, and for uh, bicycles. Isn't this going to create a problem for this mass of delivery vehicles that are supposedly to get out there and, and, and efficiently deliver product within a city? Yeah, to some extent. So particularly for the on-demand, the very rapid delivery, you know, that's going to be a challenge. I think the, the commercial delivery vehicles tend to have areas where they can kind of come in and out of cities effectively, kind of well-worn by FedEx and UPS. So that probably will remain, but it does point to kind of different modes for delivery, and there are some old-school modes that are kind of re-emerging that are kind of interesting. You see a lot of um, bike deliveries in some in half a dozen cities in the U.S. kind of re-emerging. Bike messengers used to be a big way to do deliveries uh, back in the day before, before email and Internet, but they're re-emerging for delivering small things like food and other things. And then the other one is walkers. There are a number of delivery plays out there that kind of involve using subway systems, bus systems to actually do 
a local delivery. So that does avoid some of the congestion associated with the delivery experience. But I do agree that it's going to be more and more expensive and challenging to do deliveries in urban environments using kind of traditional means. And we've talked all this time about home delivery as being like the holy grail of this whole thing without really realizing that a good number of people aren't home during the day or during business hours or during hours in which stuff can be delivered. And I guess lockers are one way to solve that problem, but we also see delivery options that can reach people at places other than their homes. Yeah, there's an interesting one called Doorman. It's a a Bay Area-based company. And they essentially, you change your address to their facility, uh, and all your packages are delivered to their facility, and then they come and schedule a delivery to you in your home. So that, that type of situation is a different type of delivery experience that avoids kind of the packages that are left on your doorstep and protects your delivery. So a model like that with kind of this third party who manages and monitors your deliveries for you and, and you to schedule, I think there's a room for that for people who live in you know, large apartment buildings where there's no safe place to leave your package. Or people who are at work and can have stuff delivered to them there, maybe. Yeah. It, yeah, you see, that would be deliveries model, to a business environment. That's right. The business deliveries are pretty easy because they're, they're generally nine to five and they're kind of set up to receive mail and other packages today. So the B2B ones are, are okay, but after five o'clock, it starts to become a problem. So it is really important to know the delivery details of where your where your uh, package recipient is. Is it a business or consumer address? Because if it's a business, you can't go there after five. So it does affect the routing for local delivery and things like that. And after five o'clock, you know, a locker might be a possible solution for a business address uh, or also for um, individual consumers to pick up at lockers. Amazon does a little bit of that, and there's a few companies kind of playing around with it. It hasn't really taken hold quite yet. So the aspect that's getting all the attention, at least in terms of the public recognition, is the is the idea of drones, obviously. Where are we on that? How far away are we from that being a uh, a viable option for delivery? And what are some of the potential obstacles that would prevent that from being a, a possibility or an alternative in some in some instances? I think uh, Amazon did a terrific job of uh, talking about drones you know, just before Black Friday last year, which is a <laughs> huge marketing boon for them. And, I, and honestly, I think that's where the future of drones is. It's it's really just kind of a marketing ploy for Amazon to talk about how technology advanced they are. You know, if you think about the urban environment, drone delivery is almost an impossibility in an urban environment, you know, multi-story buildings, et cetera. So it just doesn't doesn't have a place there. In a suburban environment, each local town is going to have their own restrictions on this type of delivery. And and there's all kinds of shakeout that has to happen with the FAA and individual towns kind of proving this. I think the one spot where drones actually may be effective is between facilities. So in the case of Amazon, if they want to deliver from their Tracy, California facility, which is an hour outside the city, into their micro-performance center, which is, say, in South San Francisco, they may be able to work with the FAA to get a lane from their large distribution center into their micro-distribution center to fly drones back and forth. So that, that seems to me to be the only reasonable possibility here, as opposed to actually delivering to end customers. Would we be those types of lanes that are well set up and and regulated by the FAA? Yeah, I, I guess it doesn't seem very efficient, too. I don't know how many packages you can stick on a single drone or how many deliveries a single drone could, could undertake in, in the course of one journey. 
but it doesn't seem like, you know, versus a van that has multiple packages, it can deliver a whole bunch of stuff much more efficiently. So that probably a, 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 an obstacle there, right? Yeah, there's a lot to be done still on the construction of the actual drone and the carrying capacity and things like that. But yeah, you would expect uh, more robust drones to emerge that are driverless that can essentially deliver between facilities that, that can take on kind of tractor-trailer-like uh, attributes. What about information technology? Is that up to speed? I'm, I'm sure as CEO of Grand Junction, you would answer yes, at least as of now. But I'm just wondering what uh, where that is going. I assume it's going to be all mobile-based technology going forward, right? Yeah, I think so. The, the mobile, obviously, is critical for visibility and for real-time tracking and things like that. But, the, you know, the customer delivery experience is rising. So the expectations for the consumer to receive their delivery is, is higher than ever. So if you just think about your Uber delivery, your experience as a passenger, it's so easy to order an Uber. And, and it's such a nice experience to get out of the car without having to pay. It's just a very simple and clean, high-visibility experience. And I think package delivery is kind of missing that whole thing. You don't really have visibility as to when the package is going to arrive. You know, various shippers aren't really providing choices on notification of when the package has arrived very well. You don't know who your driver is. You can't communicate with that driver. I'd expect technology to kind of change all of those things so the package delivery kind of starts to resemble more of the, of the seamless high-visibility opportunities that you have with, with, uh, with Uber and others. If we really want to look a little bit further ahead, might we look at the idea of driverless vehicles as being an option for delivery, or do you not think that that will fit in very well? Well, it's similar to drones. I think that um, because you need to pick up the package and drop off the package, driverless vehicles don't really fit very well for delivery because it forces someone to enter the vehicle and drop it off. And that's just – it just is logistically challenging, although – you know, there are driverless vehicles today. If you go to SFO or Newark Airport, you know, those trains from the terminal out to the parking, those are driverless vehicles. And, you know, that type of experience where you're shuttling packages to forward deployed inventory locations or between locations from a driverless perspective, that probably works kind of more the, or, or high volume B2B deliveries where a manufacturing or distribution center has a very well worn route and route-based deliveries, those types of deliveries are potentially eligible for for driverless, but not when you're talking about delivery to individual consumers. So that one's kind of exciting, you know, because it is there's a, there's a large market for B2B deliveries, and that technology is kind of is coming. But it, but from a consumer experience, I wouldn't expect to have an unmanned vehicle show up at your front door anytime soon. When you founded Grand Junction, did you have any idea what was coming in this in this whole area of local delivery? Well, it's funny, you know, Grand Junction is kind of rooted in, in logistics and and delivery and, and things like that, and it's traditionally not an area of innovation. So it's, it's really been really good timing to be involved in an area where innovation doesn't have a, much of a history, and to see the amount of innovation that's emerged in the last couple of years has been incredible. It's been good for the company because it gives us access to uh, folks that we normally wouldn't have access to. And I think that the the pie for local delivery is growing significantly because of it. So, so yeah, we're having fun here at Grand Junction. And I think that uh, uh, we're kind of right in the right place at the right time. 
Must be a bit of a challenge technologically just to keep up with each new option that's coming up. I mean, your platform is great for today, but you have to have it ready for tomorrow as well. So are you finding yourself scrambling from year to year to, to kind of uh, stay current technologically with what's going on out there? Yeah, we're, we're, we're based in San Francisco, so we're you know constantly developing new systems and features that appeal to our customers, and, uh, and we'll never stop doing that. One of the advantages we have is we don't have a deployed and owned fleet or anything like that, which really kind of limits things. Uh, since we're technology-based and mobile phone-based, we can do an improvement in our technology and promulgate it out to our carriers and drivers right away, uh, as opposed to in the old days, you know, you used to have a, a big handheld device that was a scanner and, and it didn't communicate with the Internet, and uh, there, were, there were lots of challenges to upgrading technology. We're in an environment now where we can actually upgrade the technology very quickly and very rapidly, and that's really necessary given the amount of innovation going on right now. Well, it definitely is an exciting world out there, and sounds like you guys are right in the center of it. So, uh, Rob Howard, I want to thank you so much for being with us today and helping us to understand what's going on out there in the world of local delivery. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Bob. I really enjoyed the discussion. That was my conversation with Rob Howard of Grand Junction, talking about the scramble for domination in the world of retail and e-tail deliveries. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.